Well, good morning, church. So we're going to continue in our sermon series titled, So You've Heard. And what I found interesting a couple weeks ago is Andrew started the service by asking the question, are you a Christian? Are you a disciple? Are you a follower of Jesus? And I'm going to guess that most of you answered that question the same way I did. Absolutely. And then the more he talked, the more we realized, like, oh, maybe we have some work to do. But like the Pharisees at the time of this teaching, we all seem to think we're better than we really are. And I know that's hard to hear, but if we're being honest with ourselves, we often think we're better than we think we are. But when Jesus teaches, like, do not murder, okay, that's easy. I got that one. I mean, I accidentally ran over a squirrel with my car, but I don't know that that's what he's talking about. But Jesus goes on to say, no, it's, not, it's more than that. It's a matter of the heart. If you hold anger or contempt in your heart, it's the same as murder. And then we went on to talk about adultery. Okay, I got that one too. That one's, that one's not hard. No, it's more than that. Do not lust. We talked about divorce. Last week, Andrew talked about our oath, that we don't have to swear to anything, right? Just let our yes be our yes and our no be our no. So murder, adultery, divorce, oath, I mean, these are all really fun topics to talk about. But we're going to continue in not-so-fun topics this morning, and we're going to talk about revenge, retaliation, being willing to lay down our rights for the sake of the gospel. Now, when I say revenge and I say retaliation, those sound like really ugly words. And so I hope that this message doesn't apply to anybody here, right? That I'll, I'll probably just be preaching to myself, I'm sure. But here's a hard reality, my friends. There are many things that we have heard from people we know, that people we trust. We come, Holy Spirit, I don't know what that was. People we know, we, people we trust, they tell us things, so... Obviously, they're true. There's people, or there's things that we believe because they match our agenda. They match our way of thinking. They make our lives easier. So it's got to be true. It's got to be right. And to prove that we're always right, we keep score. Now, obviously, we're, we don't tell people that right? That would be silly, but we keep score in our heart. And Andrew's been using this uh, topic of politics. It's a pretty easy, low-hanging fruit to pick on, right? Politics. We have, you know, international policies, domestic policies, state, local, even school policies. And when we believe all these things, and we believe the things that match our agenda, our, our Approach to that as often is, why won't people just ask me? I have the answers. I know I'm right. Just ask me. Never mind the fact that there's all kinds of circumstances or details that we have no idea about. Probably wouldn't understand if we did. But we're right. A couple years ago, I told our softball coach here in town, I said, Coach, here's the deal. All you need to be a perfect coach is a lawn chair. 
And she said, what are you talking about? Why do I need a lawn chair? I said, because we're all sitting in lawn chairs out here, and there's not one of us that's been wrong all year. (laughs) But that's the approach we take to so many things. So this morning, I want to encourage us to pump the brakes a little bit, to try to put all that craziness aside and focus on what Jesus says, something that we can be unified on. There's an interesting word. Be unified on something that we know is true, that we know is right. Sound good? We got one, yep. Thank you, Andrew. (laughs) So you've heard. So the question or the, the title of this sermon series would have been similar to what the people, the audience that Jesus is speaking to would have wrestled with. Jesus is saying, so you've heard. But yet, when we read it, the same as them, we often get it so backwards. For example, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would have been sitting up on this hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee. He would have been sitting there and his entire audience would have been standing around him listening. Kind of got that backwards, didn't we? I told Andrew a couple weeks ago when we had emptied the chairs out for the carpet to be installed. We were, came in on a Friday to put the chairs back. And I said, let's just put one chair up on the stage and have everybody stand. If we're going to do this Sermon on the Mount thing, let's make it authentic. Andrew didn't go for it, so you're welcome. <laughs> but Jesus was explaining to his disciples in this Sermon on the Mount, or the people that he was hoping would become his disciples, that his kingdom was different. His kingdom was different than anything that they had ever heard or experienced. And like us, many of them didn't always quite understand it, especially the ones who thought they were righteous. So we're going to cover Matthew 5, verses 38 through 42 today. And it reads like this. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anybody wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, there are plenty of phrases in that scripture that we've probably heard before. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, turn the other cheek, shirt off your back, go the extra mile. These are all phrases that we can still use. But do we know what they mean? Right? So you've heard. But do we know what they mean? Do we understand them the way that Jesus wants us to understand them? Or do we twist it to make it fit our agenda? Let's find out. Verse 38. So you've heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth? Okay, a couple of you. We're on a roll today. The same had been true for this audience. They had heard that saying before. And Jesus even says that. You have heard that it was said. Because that audience, much like many of you, had maybe even memorized the book of Leviticus. 
And if you haven't memorized the book of Leviticus, this is what it says. Anyone who takes the life of a human being is to be put to death. Anyone who takes the life of someone's animal must make restitution, life for life. Anyone who injures the neighbor is to be injured in the same manner. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. Whoever kills an animal must make restitution, but whoever kills a human being is to be put to death. So even when we read this, it sounds like we have permission to seek revenge. But there's a couple problems. First of all, in our humanity, and again, this is not something we talk about, not something we want to admit, but in our humanity, we don't often seek equal revenge. Right? We want to one-up somebody. If they hurt us, we're going to do that to them and then some. The second problem is, is this isn't giving us permission to seek revenge at all. If you put this into context of what this is saying in Leviticus, the mandate, eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, is an instruction by God for the judges of Israel. And it was an instruction for them to use as a method of administering fair or equitable criminal justice. It was written to the judges and to the courts to make sure the punishment fit the crime. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth is a maximum or it is a limit for judicial justice. It is in no way, shape, or form a permission or even an obligation for personal revenge. Let me repeat that. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth is a limit, a maximum limit for judicial justice. It in no way gives us permission for personal revenge. It does not give us an obligation for personal revenge. So what they're saying is if you lose an eye, you cannot, the courts cannot require somebody to give up their eye and their ear. It is an eye for an eye. Now in our society, I get it, it's a little bit different, right? If you lose your eye at work, they're not going to make your boss poke his eye out, right? It's more of a, in our society, it's more of a monetary retribution. They're going to compensate you with with some money. But even in that, it's not a personal decision. It's a judicial system. For example, about 18 years ago or so, I got injured at Arby's. <laughs> That's fair. So this was the scenario. <laughs> I love that laugh. That was great. <laughs> of all the things I tried to get you to laugh at this morning, and that's what I got. <laughs> so anyway, I was walking out of Arby's with a friend of mine after we had ate lunch, and there was a truck in the drive through line. And it was an extremely windy day, like 40-plus mile-an-hour winds. And a sheet of 4 by 8 half-inch plywood flew out of the back of this truck and landed on the ground. So I turned to my friend and I hand him my drink and I say, hey, I'm going to go grab that. 
And as I turned to go to the plywood, not knowing that the wind had picked it up again, I had a four by eight sheet of half inch plywood break in half across my face. My glasses were buried down into my face, my nose was destroyed, my nerves in my face were all damaged, I couldn't feel my teeth. And I kept asking my friend, how many teeth did I lose? He's like, no, your teeth are good. And I said, no, dude, just be real with me. How many teeth did I lose? Your teeth are all there, buddy, but your nose, (laughs) your nose is all kind of jacked up. And so eye for an eye is a personal revenge, right? I should have the authority to beat that guy over the face with a piece of plywood. But instead, we went with what this is saying. It's a judicial system decision. So after two plastic surgeries, I had a debt, or my family had a debt, of somewhere between eighty dollars and $100,000 in medical bills. And now some of you might be thinking, you've had $80,000 worth of plastic surgery and you still look like that. <laughs> Understandable. And I told my attorney, listen, here's the deal. I don't want to be one of those people that just sues for crazy amounts to get all this pain and suffering. I just don't want to go in debt. So we go to mediation. And so I have an attorney, they have an attorney. This third-party attorney comes in and says, all right, where do you want to start? My attorney says, $1.4 million. Whew, like he wasn't listening to the instructions. But then I started to think in my mind, like, what could I do with $1.4 million? (laughs) So finally, the mediator leaves the room, and I looked at my attorney like, dude, what was that? And he's like, don't worry about it. It's just part of the game. They're going to come back with like 20 bucks. (laughs) And we're going to meet in the middle. And And to me, this seems crazy. Like, if you know you're playing the game, why don't you just, why don't you just cut to the chase? We ended up settling, and it all came out all right. But I don't tell you that story for you to feel sorry for. I mean, you can feel sorry for me. But it's a judicial system. There was no right for my personal revenge to attack that man. Verse 39 is a verse that has caused a lot of issues over time. It's been used in a lot of ways out of context. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. And over time, there have been many people that have used this to say, well, Christians just have to be passive, right? I can't serve in the military. I can't be a police officer. I can't be in the judicial system because that in some way, shape, or form would be resisting evil. However, when we compare that, to what other scriptures say, we know that that's probably not in the right context. Even in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is confronting the evil that the Pharisees are, the false teachings of the Pharisees. We also find it in scripture where Jesus went into the, table, or into the temple and starts flipping over tables to drive out the people who were taking advantage of the worshipers. We also see in John 2, or yeah, the temple is in John 2, but then in the epistles, we see Christ's apostles resisting all sorts of evil and evil people by their teachings. And we even know that a couple of Jesus' disciples carried swords. Why do you need a sword if you're not going to resist some sort of evil? 
So Christ isn't commanding us to always resist, to never resist evil, right? There was a rich man that came to Jesus, and Jesus said, sell everything you own and give it to the poor and follow me. That was a command for that man. That's not necessarily an overarching command for everybody. But he's saying this is, there's a, a place for that in the courts and in the government, but there's no place for personal revenge. And to give us an example of what that might look like, of how we're not to seek revenge or personal justice, but we're supposed to extend forgiveness. We're supposed to extend grace. We're supposed to extend love to people in the name of Jesus rather than our own agenda. And Jesus continues on in this passage, and he gives us four examples of things that how we're supposed to lay down our rights. Now that, you know, especially as Americans, we don't want to hear that. Like, I have rights. Jesus is saying, no, you need to lay down your rights. Lay down your rights for retaliation. The rights to your possessions, the rights to your time, the rights to your money. And he gives us four examples. The first is retaliation. To the person who strikes you on the right cheek, offer the other as well. Phrase we've probably all heard, turn the other cheek. Christ is forbidding personal retaliation, not civil justice. He's dealing with how we respond to evil. In this case, we should give up our right for retaliation and again, respond with gentleness, with grace, and with love. He's not saying don't ever call the police, right? There's a time and a place for that. But what does he mean by if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek as well? Let's put it into context. In this culture, being backhanded across the face would be considered, it would not be considered a physical attack. It would be considered a deep personal insult. It would be a way of somebody telling you, you're not worth anything. You're nothing to me. So most people in the world are right-handed. Nothing against you left-handers. This is just an example. I'm right-handed. So if you're standing in front of me and I want to slap you on your right cheek, I would backhand you. And in that culture, that would be considered twice as insulting as being slapped with the palm. So Jesus is saying, when you're insulted, turn the other cheek. Don't seek revenge, turn the other cheek. Do not return evil for evil. Respond with grace. Is that what you've heard? That's the question, right? So you've heard. Is that what your society tells you? Is that what you read on social media? Now, being slapped, being backhanded by somebody, that seems like a big deal. We don't often go around backhanding anybody. If you do, there will be prayer ministers down front following the service. We don't do that to return an insult. We have other ways of backhanding people now. We can hide behind these. What about our possessions? 
Verse 40, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Another translation for those of you who wear tunics said, if someone sues you for your tunic, give them also your cloak. And now in our society, we say about people who are willing to do anything for anybody, that guy will give you the shirt off his back. Jesus is saying, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. But we need to go further. So in this culture, in this context, again, if you did something to somebody or you did something wrong and you didn't have the money to pay it back, they could literally sue you for the clothes on your back. Now, most people in this culture only had one set of clothes. So it was a big deal to give somebody the shirt off your back. But what was also interesting is it would have been considered inhumane to sue somebody for their coat. It was their inalienable right to have a coat or a cloak. That's how you stayed warm at night. That's how you stayed warm in the winter. And we also find it in Scripture that if you owed somebody something and you wanted to make a pledge or a promise to them, like, I acknowledge that I owe you this and I intend to pay you, you would give them your coat. But it was also in the law that they had to return that to you by nightfall. So having a coat in this culture is a huge deal. And Jesus is saying, give them your shirt, right? That's what you're supposed to do. But in the name of Jesus, show love to people. Show grace to people. Go beyond what you're supposed to do. Give them your coat as well. Our possessions are not ours, right? They're blessings from the Lord. But how do we handle our resources? Are we good stewards with them? Or are we willing to lay down our rights for those in the name of Jesus? What about our time? Right? This is a tricky one as well. I know Jenny asked everybody if they've been busy. Pretty much everybody raised their hand. Time's a big deal in our culture. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Go an extra mile, another phrase we've heard. And we often think of it as, well, if I just work harder, if I try to achieve more than the next person, that's going the extra mile. In this culture, the nation of Israel was under Roman oppression, and Roman soldiers had rights. They could, if you were a Jewish person going about your normal day, a Roman soldier could say, hey, carry my pack for me. Pick up my gear and carry it for me. And you had two choices. You could be arrested and imprisoned, or you could pick up the pack and carry it. However, that Roman soldier could only make you carry that for one mile. That was the law. One mile, or a thousand paces is how they would keep track of that. So play that out in your mind for a minute, right? You're going about your normal day, and you have this Roman soldier, this person that is keeping you in oppression, says, hey, peasant, pick up my stuff and carry it for me. I don't know about you, but I would probably look at that guy with hatred in my heart, hatred in my eyes, thinking I don't want to go to jail, so I'm going to do it. And I would pick it up, and I would walk a thousand paces, counting every single step. And when I got to a thousand, I would lay it down and be done. Jesus says, go with them too. 
Do things for people because you have to, but also go beyond that in the name of Jesus to show them love. Now imagine in that scenario, you get to the end of that one mile and the Roman soldier is going to be expecting you to drop his gear and walk away. What would happen, you think, if you said, you know what, I had to do that first mile, law required it. Will you walk with me for another mile? I want to tell you about the love of Jesus. My guess is that Roman soldier is going to be speechless. And now we can think, well, that's, you know, that's a good story out of Scripture. We don't have to go around carrying Roman soldiers' gear anymore. When's the last time your boss asked you to do something extra? Stay late. How did you react when they asked you to do that? Was it, I'm doing the bare minimum that you've asked me to and I'm done? Or was it, you know, I'm going to do this in the name of Jesus. I'm going to do what I have to do, but then I'm going to do this to show this person that I love them. That what they're asking me to do, I value. Is your time more important than giving to others in the name of Jesus? So I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but I was convicted of this just a couple weeks ago. So there was a person of our church, a member of our congregation, who was in the hospital in Iowa City. I love these people. We've been praying for them for a long time. I took the day off, and I was going to Iowa City with my wife to spend the day. I talked to somebody at the Iowa City Hospital, and I said, hey, can I stop by and see this person? And they said, well, we're sorry. You know, we still have COVID protocols. Um, you're not on the list, so no, you can't. Okay, I understand. I'll just call them. They'll be happy with that. So my wife and I are going about our day. We go downtown. We have a nice lunch. We get to hang out with some Iowa wrestlers. That was fun. So then we're leaving, going about the rest of our day with no agenda, and my phone rings. It was the chaplain from the Iowa City Hospital. And they said, hey, I heard you, you called and wanted to visit this person. And you were told no. I said, yeah, that's, that's correct. Well, I've made some adjustments. You're now on the list. You can come visit. Okay. So as I hang up the phone, my first thought is, I don't want to go back across town. I don't want to find a place to park. I don't want to navigate that crazy hospital. My plan is to just call them. That's good enough. And so my wife and I talked about this. We quickly decided that our hearts were in the wrong place. So we took the time to drive across town, to find a place to park. She got to take a nap in the car. And I went in to meet with this person. Her spouse was there. There was another family member there. 
And to see the surprise when they see their pastor walk in. To be able to spend time talking with them and laughing with them and praying with them. As I left, I felt so convicted. I didn't want to go the extra mile. But to see the difference it made in their lives and see the impact it had on me, I left there feeling more blessed than anything I could have given them. But it was a matter of going the extra mile in the name of Jesus. Now, I don't tell you that story to pat myself on the back because there's probably more times than not that I don't get it right. But I tell you that story as an example of laying down our rights to our time to love people well in the name of Jesus. But what about money? Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Well, if I give to anyone that asks, right, I'm having nothing left. I got to have something. People always want more time, more money, more whatever. I can't say yes to everybody. Is Jesus really telling us that we can never say no? I don't think so. I think there's some discernment required in that. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy that if we don't take care of our families, we're worse than infidels. So we have a responsibility. And secondly, giving to those people, to everyone who asks, is not always helpful. If you know of somebody who has a destructive lifestyle or an addiction or something like that, giving to that person may not be beneficial. So it requires some discernment. But I think the point that Jesus is trying to make here is, what do you value? Are we greedy with our money? Are we selfish with our money? Are you putting your money ahead of the well-being of others? Do we treat it as it deserves to be treated, as a gift from the Lord, and we're good stewards with it? This message that Jesus tells us in these few verses is just as hard for us to understand many times as it was for this original audience. Our world tells us that if something is done to us, we get to seek revenge. We get to win. We get to be right. That person, that person has to suffer. We have to make them pay. Now, when we talk about big things like getting your nose broke at Arby's, right? That seems silly. But what about the little things? What about the passing comments that people make? Or something you read on social media? Or if somebody says something about your kids? (laughs) Just got real there. Often our response is, yeah. I heard you. Now take this. I don't care if it's true or not. I'm not giving my money, I'm not giving my time to anyone or anything because I've earned it. 
I deserve it. It's mine. Why would I want to sacrifice anything for anybody else? Why can't I just tell them I love them? Why can't I just explain to them that Jesus loves them? Why do I have to lay down my rights? Why do I have to sacrifice? Friends, aren't we glad that Jesus didn't think that way? Jesus laid down his life for us. He was spit on, he was mocked, he was beaten, he was crucified. And at any point, Jesus could have called down fire from heaven or rallied the angel armies and sought revenge. Yet instead, he hung on the cross and said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Romans tells us that he did that for us, even while we were still sinners. But we get so upset when people ask us for something. How often in your prayers do you ask Jesus for something? Now, granted, we don't always get the answer we want. But again, he knows what's best for us. Are we willing to give up our rights for retaliation? Are we willing to give up the rights for our possessions? Are we willing to give up the rights for our time and our money in the name of Jesus? Okay, Judd, I get it. I get it. But do we get it? I hear you, but it's just not natural to live that way. That's true. It's supernatural. <laughs> the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So supernatural is possible. Are we willing to give up our rights for all of those things to show people love and grace and mercy? for the gospel, for the name of Jesus. In John 13, it says this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, love one another. By this, by loving one another, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. So friends, our, our society tells us so much, right? This is important. Our time is so important. Our money, right? That's the most important at all, of all. So you have heard, and you will continue to hear, what society tells you. So you have heard what Jesus is telling us. What's our choice? Let's pray.
God, first of all, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction in our lives. And we confess that in so many ways, so many ways we fall short. So many ways we believe that we're better or we're more entitled or we're so many things than we really are. And so we ask for your help by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in us and through us that we could be a people, that we could be a church who would not just say or believe in our minds that we are followers of Jesus. But by our word and by our deed, by our example to those around us in our community, in our workplaces, in our schools, that we would be willing, that we would be willing to lay down our rights to revenge, to possessions, to time, to our money. Not for pride, not to be noticed, not just to be different, but to show people, to show this hurting world the love of the King of Kings. And we need your help. Jesus, we love you. Would you help us show people that love? And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.